Hello, this is Corey Widmer. I'm the lead pastor of Third Church, and this is another edition of our extra podcast that we call Audio Appendix. We do this podcast from time to time when there are things that we want to go into on a deeper level, or that there's just something interesting that we'd like to talk about. And so today, it's one of those. Um, this is the end of the year 2017. And at the end of the year, you always see all sorts of different book lists coming out about the best books of 2017, the most important books of 2017. So we wanted to do a podcast that focused on some of our favorite books from 2017. These aren't necessarily the most groundbreaking books or the ones that are the most amazing books in the world, but these are ones that we think are especially important to either issues that we are facing as a community or issues that we are facing in the life of our society. So joining me today is my friend, Becca Payne. Becca is our Director of Communications, and she is an author and reader herself. So say hi, Becca. Hi, everybody. Happy to be here. So what we're going to do is I'm going to kick it off with one of my favorite books that came out in 2017, and then um, and then Becca will talk about one of hers, and we're going to end up covering about five books today. So my first book... Um, is a book called How to Think by a guy named Alan Jacobs. Um, Alan Jacobs is a professor of humanities at Baylor University. Um, And this book first got my attention because of the subtitle. Um, The subtitle is A Survival Guide for a World at Odds. And what Jacobs is doing in this book is he's basically looking at the culture that we're living in right now, which we are just awash in this sea of punditry and partisanship and constant perpetual news cycles. And what Alan Jacobs is arguing is that this is steadily eroding our ability to think, Um, that it's making it very, very difficult for us to think critically. We're actually rewarded for not thinking in our partisan society. We're rewarded for just going along with the flow in these self-reinforcing bubbles of our own um, of, of our own groupthink. And Alan Jacobs is arguing this, this is not a book that is directed explicitly to Christians, but he is basically calling us back to greater civility in our time and to learn how to think critically, learn how to argue more persuasively even as we listen more compassionately to the views of those that we might disagree with. So I really got a lot out of this book. It's a short book. It's um, really easy to read. It's really beautifully laid out. Uh, Lots of um, wonderful stories, and it's really funny. Um, So I I just thought this is a tremendous tool for those of us who live in 21st century America in a society that feels like it's just really gone insane at times. Yeah, I actually did not read this book, though after this conversation I definitely want to. Um, But I think a common theme that we're kind of looking at with all these books that we're discussing today is um, there's all these forces that are shaping us. Um, And I'm guessing, and Corey can speak to this, that this book is reminding us that there are many people out there who are speaking into our lives that maybe we're just accepting at face value without thinking about the fact that they are forming us and shaping us as people. Yeah. Um, and perhaps how we take just our basic thinking for granted. Um, do you, would you say that this totally. book addresses yeah, that? Yeah, and I love the way that Jacobs um, really undercuts a lot of things that we take for granted. Like just for an example, 
he talks about this common phrase that's often used as like, um, I'm thinking for myself, or he's thinking, mm -hmm. or she's finally thinking mm -hmm. for herself. And he has this funny statement where he says, nobody actually thinks for themselves. We're all, we all yeah. think are in response to something or information to something. And what we usually mean when we say, oh, she's thinking for herself, is that her views uh, are starting to sound more like people that I approve of. That's, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what we mean when someone says she's thinking for herself. Um, and whether you're on the right or on your left, what, we're so formed by these communities that we live in that our thinking is um, deeply, deeply formed by the people that we listen to and that our habits are formed by. And so Jacobs just has some really, really great practical guidance for mm. how to think in a society like ours where we're rewarded for um, partisanship, where technology enables us to overcome distances of space between us, and so we don't really humanize mm -hmm. our opponent anymore. Yeah, sure. um, we, we demonize uh, other people very quickly and um, caricature our opponents. Um, and he really calls us to do things like um, very practical, lots of practical advice in this book, like think slowly. Um, when you read or listen to something that you disagree with, give it five minutes before responding. I think that's great advice for anyone, especially if you're on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah. Um, he says, there's no such thing as thinking for yourself. That's impossible. We're all formed deeply by our you know, collective traditions that form the way that we think. So belong to multiple communities so that your natural desire to have all your opinions validated by other people is gently challenged. And mm -hmm. you can join multiple communities that those can be physical communities that you're a part of, or those can be virtual communities, like people, news that you read. You know, if you only listen to CNN or only watch Fox News, mm -hmm. you're, all of your opinions are constantly going to be validated in this self-perpetuating cycle. Mm -hmm. So he says, you know, learn to think more broadly by joining multiple communities that, yeah. can, that can help you to, to understand other people's point of views. Um, he talks about before you critique another person's argument, make sure you can express their argument to their satisfaction. Mm -hmm that they would agree with you, um, that you can articulate well what they believe so that, and then you can begin to engage with them critically. He says things like spend time more with, more time with books, less time online. We all know that the amount of time that we spend online is damaging our thinking mm -hmm. and not and, and enabling us to, disabling us from thinking really well. So um, I just think as Christians, one of the best ways that we can be models in a society that is as crazy as ours is to model civility mm -hmm. um, and love mm -hmm. in the way that we dialogue with those who, are, who we disagree with and then who are different than we are. And I just felt like that this book was a fantastic handbook mm -hmm. for what it would mean to figure out how to, how to engage with civility in a society like ours. Yeah, it just so. sounds like there's like two things at stake. One discerning truth from fiction, right. you know, how, how right. to intake um, what we're hearing with wisdom and discernment, but two, how to dialogue with our neighbors in love and grace mm. and understanding. Exactly. Um, yeah. And both of those are just as important as the other one because um, we, we are truth seekers. Um, we believe that truth is out there, mm -hmm. but we also want to be compassionate and gracious as we pursue that mm. with people that we disagree with. So Amen. I'm yeah. very excited to read yeah. this book. It's great. And it's really funny too. Lots of well, great, great, great stories. All right. So that's How to Think how to by think. Alan Jacobs. So Becca, what's your, what's your next book? Yeah. So the book that I want to talk about is called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. 
Um, Tish is an Anglican priest, um, and this is a brief little book um, that Corey actually recommended to me when I was on maternity leave, um, which is a very special time in a person's life, um, especially someone like myself who loves to do lots of things and be busy and work hard. And I was uh, at home with a new baby, which is um, both monotonous, you know, you're doing the same things over and over and over again. You're eating, sleeping, feeding, trying to shower, repeat. Um, and yet the schedule was completely arbitrary. You're um, at the behest of a small infant who doesn't know what a schedule is. Um, and doesn't care what your schedule no, is. No, she does not. <laughs> uh, so this book came at just the exact right time for me. Um, what Tish does in this book is um, takes these rhythms of liturgy, you know, liturgy is the work of the people, the, the rhythms that we do on Sunday morning, say, call to worship, confession, um, prayer, um, taking the Lord's Supper together. Uh, she takes those elements and then applies them to the very uh, mundane aspects of our daily life. So uh, what does it mean to forgive one another um, just in our daily interactions? Surely there's lots of opportunity for that. Um, but what about worship in your daily life? Um, what about greeting one another in peace in your daily life? Um, so she looks at these things like making her bed, like sleeping, like sitting in traffic, um, like drinking tea as ways to actually practice liturgy in your everyday. Um, so it really came at just the perfect time for me because um, I was able to see a lot of these moments in those early days with my daughter um, and was really grateful to have just this kind of uh, companionship in this book that made me feel not so alone and gave me purpose to those um, mm. sometimes frustrating, sometimes beautiful uh, moments uh, on my maternity leave. Mm. So mm. Uh, I think, yeah, there's just a lot to be gleaned there. And um, I've recommended this book since I read it to everyone. I had quite a few friends who had babies around the same time as me. Um, who I've recommended it to, but it is not just for uh, moms mm. who've had babies. Obviously, Corey recommended it to me for a reason, um, as he's read it. But I think it's a, it is applicable to moms. It is applicable to dads, to single people who are figuring out work, to people who are in school and are just trying to figure out where is the meaning in this day in and day out struggle of schoolwork and homework mm. and extracurriculars. It's for um, empty nesters. It's for, it's for anyone. So mm. how are you going to take that Sunday morning rhythm of liturgy and apply it to your daily life? This is, this is the book for you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, re whether you're a working mom, uh, or a retiree, we all deal with this big problem that we often talk about at third, and that's the sacred secular divide that, Sundays are sacred time, that's God time, that's time about your soul, but then the whole rest of your week is secular, and very few of us uh, have an idea of how our faith intersects with that. And the church traditionally has done a really good job of equipping people for their the sacred parts of their life, their prayer life, their worship life, but not done a very good job of equipping people to see how does the whole rest of their life connect mm -hmm. with following Jesus. And yeah. I agree with you. I think Tish just does an amazing job connecting what happens on Sunday with what happens the whole rest of the week um, and 
to really almost like reinfuse ordinary life mm-hmm. with a sacred quality mm-hmm. so that th- silly things like having to apologize to your spouse yeah. or losing your keys can actually become like sacred practices yeah. that nurture your life with mm-hmm. God that are directly connected with who we are as a worshiping community. Yeah, and I, I also appreciate that she says, she talks a bit about how a lot of church life has moved away from uh, teaching these practices and instead have created these experiences mm-hmm. on, say, Sunday mornings, um, these kind of heightened emotional experiences where you're supposed to get in touch with God. Um, but, you know, how does that translate to your Monday through Saturday is the first question. But then the second question is, what if you're not experiencing that necessarily? You know, you are going through a season where you are feeling um, this sense of darkness or uh, numbness. And so what does your relationship with God look like right. in those times? And, right. um, you know, she, there's this one quote that I really loved. I remember reading it aloud to my husband when I was <laughs> when I was reading the book. It says, I worry that when our gathered worship looks like a rock show or an entertainment special, we're being formed as consumers, people after a thrill and a rush, when what we need is to learn a way of being in the world that transforms us day by day by the rhythms of repentance and faith. We need to learn the slow habits of loving God and those around us. And I, man, mm. I needed that. Yeah. Um, I need yeah. that every day. And I think that's where the transformation happens, right. is those slow habits of learning to love God and love our right. neighbor. And it's right. not glamorous. It's not... Um, you're not always going to want to do it. <laughs> mm. um, it's not going to feel intense and maybe even satisfying, but um, this is how mm. we become disciples. Yeah, I would say. yeah, it's that's so beautiful because not only does it does it reinfuse ordinary life with a sacred quality, no matter how boring ordinary life might be, but it also reminds it also reinfuses our worshiping life on Sundays with renewed uh, purpose because you realize mm. what we do on Sundays, yeah. like when we do the call to worship, when we do confession when we do greeting of mm-hmm. peace, when we do the offertory, when we do this commission sending to the world, like those are, n- that's not just about like a, a little Sunday worship time. That is about the whole of life. Yeah. And these habits that we do every Sunday are forming us for a life of following Jesus. Yep. So. Yeah. So, I mean, my last note on this is like, if you are in a place, you know, we talked about this being for everyone, but you know, if you are in a place where you're feeling like, how does Sunday morning actually change my life? How does... How does my um, life actually be changed by the gospel? This is a great book for you. Mm. Or if you're just feeling kind of numb or um, disconnected from your relationship with God, wondering how you know you can get back on track and see Him in your daily life, this is a this mm. is a great place to start. Yeah. So. Also, we'll add that this book won the Christianity Today yeah. 2017 Book of the Year. Yep. So it's been a highly celebrated book. Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. Highly recommend. Okay. So my my next book, Becca, is a book uh, that you may not have heard of. It's a book called The Myth of Equality, Uncovering the Roots of Injustice and Privilege by Ken Weitzma. I have not heard of this, but it sounds yes. very relevant. So <laughs> the reason why I want to talk about this book is because of the, well, the year we've had is a year where a lot of issues of race and systemic racial injustice has been very much in the news. Uh, and a lot of that happened in a very close to us back in um, August at the, the terrible white supremacist rally in Charlottesville. 
And what was so interesting about that is that it, it took a, a lot of these debates about racism and white privilege and racial injustice that often happen sort of on the fringes and in institutions in the academy and really brought them to the surface in public news cycles and churches. And, and I think a lot of us are really struggle to know what is it as Christians that we should think about these things? You know, yeah. as Christians, you know, we, of course we believe in racism, but, you know, we hear people talk about white privilege. You know, do we believe in that? What does that really mean? We hear talk of um, systemic injustice when it comes to the history of things that happen in our country. And it's just very hard, I think, as Christians to know how does our faith inform these discussions and how, what is our responsibility in all of it? Yeah. And so InterVarsity Press, which is an evangelical book publisher, the same book, the same publisher that published the last book we talked about, approached this author, Ken Weitzma, and asked him to write a book from a very centrist evangelical perspective on racism, injustice, and privilege. Um, and he ended up writing this really, really remarkable book. It's not very long. It's only about 200 pages. And it just does an, an amazing job. I, I think especially as someone, I've spoken a lot about race and mm -hmm. racism at various yeah. conferences, and the guy just blew my socks off really? in the ability that he was able, in such a short uh, set of pages, to be able to communicate mm -hmm. so very much. So what he does is the first part of the book he calls the story of race. And this, he really tells the story of our country and how uh, racism has been a part of the, a dark shadow in the history of our country from the beginning, and not mm -hmm. just in the history, but how it affects the life of our society today. Um, he, it's, 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 he, he tells these stories really well. It's, mm -hmm. He uses lots of graphs and data. He talks about how our cities actually were formed um, really, really fascinating stuff. Very, very well done. And then the second part, he talks about why we should care about this as Christians. Mm. And so it's really a wonderful lesson in biblical theology where he looks at a lot of the things that we do at Third. We talk about the whole story of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, and looks at how this vision of God for justice um, and reconciliation between races and cultures is at the heart of God's vision for renewing all things. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of the book, he talks about what can we do as, as, as he's especially addressing white Christians. What do we do about coming to terms with the fact that for those of us who are white, we do benefit from the, the dark history of our country. We benefit mm -hmm. from things that have happened that have put us in positions of power and privilege. And what is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to do with that? So this will be a hard read. Um, I think yeah. this will be a read that will challenge people um, you might disagree with a lot of things in this book. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, it might make you mad. You might th want to throw the book across mm -hmm. the room sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to a couple times. Um, but honestly, if if we want to be contributors to the discussion about race in America right now in a Jesus-centered way, we have got to read books like this. Yeah. We've got to understand. Sure. Um, w one very, very sobering thing that he said that made me so sad was that um, Barna research did a analysis and uh, found that white evangelical Christians are have a higher than average view that ra racial reconciliation is important and they have a lower than average view 
that race is actually a problem in America. Wow. And so, and so what basically that says wow, is yeah. that those who believe that they are most equipped to help with reconciliation <laughs> actually don't think that it's needed they as much as other Americans. So that is a real problem. And yeah. so we need to be those who are able to see the problem, but also know what we as followers of mm-hmm. Jesus have to contribute to it. So yeah. I love this book. Gosh, um, really want to read this too. Uh, I heard someone say recently something along the lines of, um, you know, we as Christians are easy to uh, confess that we will always struggle with, say, our pride, our selfishness, um, our proclivity to put ourselves before others, um, but we're not so quick to admit that we might have biases against mm. each other um, yeah. and that we might actually be uh, contributing to uh, poor race relations. And yeah. um, I think as I have meditated on that and thought about that in my own heart and life, I've for sure been convicted about that. Um, but that leads me to think like, what, what should, would you give people a recommendation for like how they should approach this book? Like, what do you need to know before Mm. you read something like this? Like, is it just like a sense of humility, a sense of like your own, um, maybe your own role or yeah. your ability to yeah. to perpetuate something that you don't, yeah. you're not proud of? Or? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I, I think that um, it's taken me a long time to have the spirit to be able to receive, mm. you know, mm-hmm. a hard diagnosis and, and yeah. the idea that I might have contributed to something that I didn't directly do myself. I mean, I think that one of the wonderful things about the Bible is that it has such a complex view of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, when you read the Old Testament, you see that David or other people are held accountable for sins that they didn't necessarily do themselves, but that yeah. their community historically was a part of, mm. and that they are d- complicit in it, God says. They, there were whole fasts called for the nation of Israel because of things that their ancestors did. This, the, the view of sin in the Bible is much more complex and collective yeah. than our wow. highly individualistic understanding of sin is today. So so I think a lot of times people, I'll hear people say, well, I'm not a racist or I didn't have any slaves or that sort of thing. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that there's not a problem. And that doesn't mean that we don't participate in systems, systems. in which injustice exists. Uh-huh. And so I think recognizing that the Bible has a highly complex and different and more collective view of sin than we often do and coming with an open mind, yeah. and, and, and also with just a view that Jesus is a mighty Savior, and that mm. Jesus is, is able to save all of us from all of our sin, both the sin that we know of and the sin that we don't even know. So I think when you come with humility and with confidence in the saving power of Jesus and his grace, yep. then you can hear hard things um, and not feel defensive and upset, yeah. but actually want to learn. Um, Gosh, so good. it's taken me a long time to come be able to come to stuff like this with an open heart, but yeah. um, I think we really need to do that. If, if we want to contribute, if A, if we want to be a church that ha- has greater diversity among us and, and we want to have a strong relationship with like our Christian Arabic friends, mm-hmm. and B, if we want to contribute to healing in our city and our nation. Yes. So yeah, I highly we, recommend it. Yeah, we need trusted voices who are going right. to approach these topics um, with uh, biblical faithfulness. Um, right. And yeah, that's right. great that we can find those resources and share them with us. Yeah, with so this people. is a good one. The Myth of Equality, published by InterVarsity Press by Ken Weitzma. That's W-Y-T-S-M-A. 
Awesome. All Thanks, right, Corey. Becca, you've got one more, right? Okay, one more. So the last one I want to recommend to you guys is called um, The TechWise Family, which is the new book by Andy Crouch. Um, Andy has written quite a few things. All have been really good. Um, I would say this is probably his most approachable book. If you've tried to read an Andy Crouch book in the past, it's <laughs> that is definitely true. Yeah, this yeah. is a little too <laughs> dense for me. Um, do not be afraid of this one. Uh, it is good for anyone. So there, I just realize that there's a few kind of hot button topics that everyone's talking about these days, especially Christian people. How do we deal with X, Y, or Z? And one of those is technology. Um, I think families are talking about this, of course, if you have kids who are getting smartphones, using computers, whatever. But this book is not just for families. Um, it is for anyone who owns or has access to a television, um, a computer, or a smartphone. Um, so what Andy does in this book is tries um, tries to put technology in its proper place um, by acknowledging that, again, there are all of these um, elements out there that are trying to shape us, voices that are trying to shape us, um, technology that's trying to form us into something. What is it trying to form us into, and how can we actually take that um, narrative back and write it? for the way that God wants us to flourish. Um, so this book, um, I wanted to read it because, you know, I have smartphone, my husband has a smartphone, now we have a child, and I know that we don't have the best habits around how we use that and how we put boundaries around it. So I kind of picked it up right before we went on a little vacation, and I'm gonna be honest, it was a good beach read. I, I mean, it's that light and enjoyable um, and just super helpful. So. What I loved about it, though, is that he doesn't just begin by laying out rules or boundaries for your technology, but by asking you really basic questions around what is a family for, what is your home for, um, and how are you shaping those things to promote your flourishing and the flourishing mm. of your family and what, really good. and what God wants for you. Um, so he, he does go into these kind of high-level, um, big-picture questions, like I just said, but he also gives you kind of 10 he calls tech-wise commitments. So they are um, more or less like boundaries that you can put around your technology. Like your phones go to bed before you do and they wake up after you, um, which is a fun and easy way to remember, yeah, this isn't going to bed with me. This needs to be in its own place. Um, but it's also really, um, so there's the, the stuff around technology itself, technology usage and putting boundaries around that. But he's he really makes you reimagine what your family's for. And I've thought so much more about like how I actually even set up my home, how I arranged my furniture mm. and how it produces um, disciples or how it, how it fosters community. How is the furniture in my house pointing towards a television or is it pointing towards places of creativity and work and um, community? And so, you know, my husband and I are, thinking about uh, buying a house in the next year, selling our current home. And we constantly talk about this book now and how the space that we have in the future, um, how is it going to form our family? Wow. Um, and what is our family for? Uh, Andy Crouch says, families are for building wisdom and courage. 
And so I am, those two words, wisdom and courage, are just constantly in my mind now around my technology usage, how I just move about in my home, um, what kind of home I want to create, and the hospitality I want to provide people. Um, so I would say for all of these kind of high-level um, macro questions, this book is really helpful, and for the micro questions too around like, oh gosh, how do I rein in my phone usage, um, this book is super helpful. Wow, so. very sounds like it's been really impacting on you. Yeah. Are there other <laughs> like just can you give us an example of any other daily yeah. daily habits so, that you've changed because of this book? Um or? let's so some of his commitments, um, he talks a lot about work and rest too, which is interesting, like how that factors into your technology usage, which I think we are really trying to be more mindful of, like um not having your phone with you on say Sabbath days or when you're with your family, you don't need it. Um, he, he says we use screens for a purpose and we use them together rather than using them aimlessly and alone. So not to just, so no more out. sitting in your bed, scrolling through Instagram. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, that's the aim, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that yeah. I always do that. <laughs> But at least now I know when I am doing it right. and say, You're like, thinking oh, about what it's wanna. doing to you. Yes. Um, so to use screens for a purpose. And Chris and I, when we're being, my husband and I, when we're being really thoughtful, we will tell each other what we're using the phone for. Like, I'm picking it up because I'm going to look at this thing. Hmm. Um, and another thing that I really loved is he talks about car time as conversation time and how you don't really get into the good meat of a conversation between another person until you been with them for seven minutes talking. Wow. And so, so if you switch on, you know, if you or switch on a podcast or which I love podcasts. Uh, this is a podcast. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> so if you're with another person, turn this off. Turn it off. Um, uh, or if, you know, the, the person in the passenger seat is looking at their phone, you're not going to get to that seven minute um, marker. But, you know, we're driving around Richmond all the time, and most places we go, we have to drive longer than seven minutes. Yeah. And so if you make a commitment um, with your family members or with your friends to just not look at your phone during those 15 minutes that you're driving together, you could actually have a really good conversation. And the, that's definitely one that we try to stick to. Um, and I think the harder part now is, like, how do you lovingly remind your uh, spouse or mm. your family member or your friend that you want to be on the same page with that. Like, oh, hey, I see you're looking at your phone. Can we have a conversation instead without them feeling judged? Or, yes, uh, I can yeah. imagine that would be difficult if yeah. you're trying to keep a certain set of practices and the person you're with isn't. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, great, great tips. And it's that so much awesome. more than just... Um, you know, what do I do with my phone and passwords and security right. and, you know, looking over my kids' shoulders. It's way more than that. So. Great. A little yeah. teaser for that book. Um, Andy Crouch, the author of that book, is actually going to be coming here to Third, and he's doing a seminar on the TechWise family on March 2nd. That's a Friday night at 7 p.m. here at Third in the Fellowship Hall. So, but it'd be great if you could read the book before he comes. Yeah. I so. will be there with bells on. I am very excited about that. TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. Okay, Corey has the last book. I have got one last little book here. It's actually a children's book. I thought that I'd throw in a children's book here at the end because I love children's books and have a dream personally to write one one day. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that happens, if it happens. Um, so this is a book called God's Very Good Idea. It's written by Trillian Newbill. 
This is a beautiful book. It's got wonderful illustrations. It's in a series of children's books called Tales That Tell the Truth. And I have several of these books and really love them a lot and think they're great children's books. Um, But the reason why I like this one is because it tells the story of God's very good idea of redeeming the world through his son, Jesus Christ, and the creation of the church. Now, there's a lot of children's books out there that tell the story of the gospel in different ways about how God made humanity, God, humanity fell into sin, God redeemed the world through Jesus. But there's two big reasons why I think this book is different that, that makes it really unique. One is because it, um, it talks a lot about the image of God, hmm. which I think is a beautiful thing. Um, it talks about how w- when God made people that he made lots of different kind of people. Let me just quote. He says, all of these people would be made in his image. They would be all like mirrors reflecting what God is like. Because God is full of love, they would be full of love too. And he talks about how they're all different. Some people um, are short. Some people are tall. Some people have dark skin. Some people have light skin. Some people like bikes. Some people like to read. Some people were men. Some people were women. And so it really gets out this beautiful idea that um, you, that you are, in all of your uniqueness, whatever your culture, whatever your interests, whether you're a, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, you are someone beautiful made in God's image and bearing his likeness. Um, and that's, I think that's a really rare thing for a children's book to get at. Um, and especially in all of the conversation in our culture about diversity, this really grounds that conversation in the imago Dei, the, the mm. image of God, mm. which is really the, the, the ground of what it means to be a human, um, that whatever our culture or race or ethnicity, we were made in the image of God. So that's one reason why this book is different. The other reason it's different is because it doesn't just tell the story of individual salvation. You know, Jesus came, you trust in his work, you go to heaven. It tells the story of the creation of God's church. Mm. So at the end of the book, it talks about that God's really great idea is that Jesus came to die and and to raise again so that anyone who trusted him can be saved and forgiven. But then Jesus creates this strange new community in which he welcomes anyone and everyone into mm. his family. And there in that family are people who like reading and people who like riding bikes, people with darker skin, people with lighter skin, people with curly hair and straight hair. And this family is called the church, and they are your brothers and sisters, and you can uh, experience God's love through them even now. So and sweet. so it's just a really beautiful vision of the Christian life mm. that is much more robust than a typical children's yeah. book. And I think it's really good for adults, too. And especially since this fall, uh, we've been talking so much about what is the church and how our parish vision is really seeking to um, embody God's vision for the church, this new community of people that God is calling to live in as a spiritual family. Um, I think this book it would might be a great book to read to your kids to give them a vision of yeah. what God's plan is for his church. Yeah. So I love it. I'll be buying this for little Nelly and myself. More myself right now. It's pretty but. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Nellie will appreciate it in a couple she, years. She will. Yeah. I, I love that all these books, I feel like, are helping us reclaim um, just a basic love of neighbor. How do yeah. we uh, listen to each other? How do we put it, ourselves in each other's shoes? How can we be present with one another? How can we celebrate the community that God has given us? 
um, and calls us to go out and reach more people. Mm. Um, I feel like these books are just another prick on my heart to, to say like, oh man, there's work to be done. Mm. And, um, you know, we are, we are here to do that work and I'm excited. Look yeah. at you. That's pretty awesome. You drew this big macro theme <laughs> to tie all the books together. Love of neighbor. Well done. Love of neighbor. I mean, it's top of mind right now for us. So, <laughs> Well, thanks, guys, for listening. This has been episode two of our audio appendix podcast. We hope that you'll pick up at least one of these books. We'll also list them in the description of the podcast so that you can get the names if you need to. Yep. Um, and we hope to see you at one of our Christmas Eve services or, if not, in the new year. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas.